Our speaker uh, for this series is Dr. Vodi Bakum. Vodi's journey to Christ and the gospel ministry was anything but usual. He was born in L.A., California and raised by a single mother. He did not hear the gospel until his freshman year in college. And it was there that he came to faith in Christ. As a student athlete at Rice University, Vodi responded to God's call in his life and entered the gospel ministry. Then as he left, uh, as a result, he left Rice University his senior year to pursue theological training at Houston Baptist University. He graduated from HBU with a BA in Christianity and Sociology. From there, he earned a master's degree from Southwestern Seminary and a doctorate from Southeastern Seminary and has done additional postgraduate study at the University of Oxford, Oxford, England. Dr. Bakum has authored numerous books. We have a handful of them out in the narthex, which you are welcome to check out. Academic journals and magazine articles, and currently holds the position of Dean of the Seminary at African Christian University in Lusaka, Zambia. He, his faithful wife, Bridget, and their seven youngest children made the bold move from the heart of Texas to the heart of Africa in August 2015. On a personal note, Vodi is also an accomplished martial artist. He took up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in 2012 as an avenue of self-defense training, personal fitness, and outreach. And as he began competing, he found both a passion and a talent. He's won numerous tournaments and titles. And as we found out at lunch today, um, they are not all from uh, beating his children in the backyard. So <laughs> apparently there's some legitimacy to his jiu-jitsu, including the 2014 Pan American Championship in his division. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Vodi Bakum. You know, you want me to share the same bio from last night? And I said, no. Make something up. <laughs> he made up nothing. <laughs> so, you know, do better. <laughs> um, good evening. It is good to be with you on this evening. Um, Tonight, um, what, what I want us to do is sort of, sort of set the stage, um, and, and we're looking at this idea of our unity in Christ, our oneness in Christ, um, this, this one people that God has made for himself and for his glory, and comparing and contrasting that with what in our culture at large um, is really greater and greater division. Um, and, and oftentimes, apparently, even in the church, um, you know, this, this greater and greater sense of, of division. Um, and so tonight, I, I kind of want to start off by uh, really making an, a, a direct comparison. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And the reality is that you, regardless of, of who you are, where you're from, um, all people in all places and at all times have wrestled with and will continue to wrestle with the same questions. 
in, in some form or another. They, 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 they may never actually articulate these questions, but everyone, regardless of where or when they are born on this earth, wrestles with these same questions. And they are some form of, who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? And how can what is wrong be made right? Again, we may not ask them in exactly that way, but those are the questions with which we wrestle. And they are the questions with, 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 with which we wrestle. Try to say that 10 times real fast. Um, because, of, because of who we are as human beings. Um, and there are at least a couple of ways of answering these questions. I want to look at the two predominant ways um, that these questions are answered in, in our culture because I think they shed light on um, these two views that we're going to be looking at um, on this topic for this weekend. Um, secular humanism and Christian theism. And for the most part, secular humanism, if you ask these four questions, here are the answers that you get. Um, who am I? Ultimately, I'm, I'm the result of random evolutionary processes. Which means I'm one giant freak accident. And so are you. Okay? Nothing and nothing made everything. Doesn't have to make sense. It just is. Why? Because well, somebody said so. Okay? Nothing met nothing and from nothing came everything. And then there was you, right? From the zoo to you, from the primordial goo. <laughs> and this is what we believe. This is what sophisticated people in the world today believe. Who am I? Why am I here? Um, Ultimately, I'm here to consume and enjoy. That, that's, that's, why, that's why I exist. To satisfy my own desires. To consume and enjoy. Um, now, there may be some, you know, altruism in, in my outlook, but really, that's just so that you will think better of me so that I can consume and enjoy more. Okay? But really, that's, that's, that's why I'm here. Um, what's wrong with the world? Well, what's wrong with the world is that we are either um, is insufficiently educated or insufficiently governed. That's what's wrong with the world. We're either insufficiently educated or insufficiently governed. Okay? So, you know, whenever, when it, anything goes wrong with us, what do we do? We either go to get some kind of, go, go to some kind of class, go to some kind of therapy, right? There's, there's information that you don't have that you need, okay? Um, or if we don't go to some kind of class or some kind of therapy, then somebody's got to watch us. You go to jail and people watch you, right? Or whatever. You've got, you, you, need, to, you need to be watched. You need to be better educated and you need to be watched, if we just educate you and watch you, we can fix you. 
It's our answer for everything. We're not original at all. I mean, really, whatever the situation, right? How can what is wrong be made right? Again, if what's wrong is you're insufficiently educated or you're insufficiently governed, we need to educate you and govern you. Of course, this raises myriad questions, right? Because, you know, who's going to govern the governors? And that, I mean, that's one of the things I want to know. Who's going to govern the governors while they're governing me, right? Because something's wrong with me, something's wrong with them too, right? How do they get to be the governors? Well, because they're sufficiently educated. Says who? Well, says the people who educated them sufficiently. Who educated them sufficiently, right? There's problems here. Because you know, generally speaking, when you take really bad people and educate them, you just get more sophisticated bad people. Right? Now, I mean, really, in many ways, if you look at the world today, a very crude way to look at the difference in the world with all of our advancement is that we know how to kill each other far more efficiently and from greater distance. You would think that if we were more sophisticated, that one of the things we're told is that, you know, as, we're, as we grow more sophisticated, we don't have all of these barbaric things like wars. Yes, we do. We just become more efficient and proficient at killing one another from greater distance. Now we use drones, Right? You don't even have to get your hands dirty. You don't even have to be there. Okay? Our wonderful, sophisticated selves. Okay? But these are the answers. Who am I? The result of random evolutionary processes. No rhyme or reason for your existence. Why are you here? Consume and enjoy. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. What's wrong with the world? People are either insufficiently educated or insufficiently governed. How can what is wrong be made right? Well, you need to be better educated and better governed. And, and, and we hear this, and all of, us, all of us respond the same way. We hear this and we go, yeah, that's, that doesn't do it for me. Amen? That's, that, no, that's not, it's not, that's not working. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be something else. And, and there is. And when we think about these issues that we're talking about here, right? When you think about issues of race and ethnicity, um, and when you think about, you know, the, the, these, these great chasms and divides between us, listen, this worldview, the secular human, world, secular human uh, worldview of secular humanism, it doesn't answer. It, it doesn't fix these things. But how does Christian theism answer these questions? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 15. And let's, let's deal with these questions in turn. 
Question number one, who am I? What are we as human beings? Who are we as human beings? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Isn't it interesting? You know, I'm answering this question. <laughs> the first phrase there is about what he is. And the reference here, of course, is to Christ. You, you, you can't know who you are until you know who he is. You can't know who you are until you know that there is a God who created the world. Secular humanism says you are the result of random evolutionary processes. There's no rhyme or reason for your existence. The Bible says you're the crowning glory of the creation of God. Not, not just, not just God's creation. You're the crowning glory of God's creation. Not all of God's creation is created equal. Amen? There's only, there's only one that he gave dominion over everything else. There's one that he made in his image and in his likeness. And there is nothing else in all of creation like us. We are the crowning glory of the creation of God. And here's the problem. Secular humanism is trying on the one hand to say to young people, for example, you are the result of random evolutionary processes. There is no rhyme or reason for your existence. And then on the other hand, treat one another with dignity. Why? Why? If we are the result of random evolutionary processes, the only thing that matters is if you have what I want and if I'm big and bad enough to take it. What else matters? There is nothing else. Johnny, be nice to Susie. Why? I'm bigger and stronger than she is. Why? Americans, be nice to fill in the blank. Why? If there's more of us, or we have more bombs and bullets, why should we be? Why shouldn't we just go where we want and take what we want? You see, if we're the result of random evolutionary processes, we have no inherent dignity or worth or value. But if there is a God who created the world, he spoke it into existence. And if that God made us in his image and in his likeness, then every one of us has inherent dignity and inherent worth and inherent value by virtue of the fact that we're created in the image of God. And now I can tell Johnny to be nice to Susie. Well, why? Because she's made in the image of God. And she has inherent dignity and inherent worth and inherent value as being made in the image of God. That's why. That's why. How, how do you deal with issues of, of racism? How do you do that if, you know, we're all just the result of these random evolutionary processes? How do you do that? You really can't. 
everything is just reduced to power. It may be political power, but everything's just reduced to power. But when you understand that there is a God and that he spoke the world into existence, and, and beyond that, he actually entered into this existence that he created in the incarnation. Now we see inherent dignity, inherent worth, and inherent value. By the way, even when it comes to the way that we treat the unborn, do you realize that Jesus screams the dignity and worth and value of human beings, not just in general, but at every phase of their existence? Because God does not just send his son to appear on the earth. He sends his son to step into humanity and stepping into humanity begins with conception. And through coming into the womb of the virgin, God says human dignity extends into the womb and all the way to natural death. This is what God says through the incarnation. You don't get this anywhere else. And you don't get this in any other way. This is the distinction. He he, he steps into this. And now this inherent dignity and value exists in all people of all types. And all, all of us. Why? Because all of us are created in the image of God. Every last one of us, regardless of our shade or hue. Creation gives us this. The incarnation gives us this. God's announcement in the Abrahamic covenant gives us this. And you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This promise that God makes includes people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Amen? This is what we get in the incarnation. This is what we get in the gospel. This is what we get in the person and work of Christ. This is what we get in the Great Commission. This is what we get in the biblical message. And it's different than anything that we hear anywhere else. Who am I? The crowning glory of the creation of God. What, well, why am I here? Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Who am I? Crowning glory of the creation of God. Why am I here? To bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I exist. Not for me. I exist to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. All things exist 
to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is interesting because this not only only speaks to me and to you and to the way that we treat and interact with one another, but this also speaks to everything else that exists and the way that we interact with it. So if we are made in the image of God and if we exist to bring Christ glory and if everything else that is created exists to bring Christ glory, then that means the way that you and I interact with everything else in the world ought to be done purposefully so that those things can be caused by us to expand the glory of Christ everywhere. Huh? Why is this building here to bring glory to Christ? So even the work that we do with our hands, we're doing work with our hands with what? With the stuff that God made to bring glory to Christ. So whatever it is you do with that stuff, you do it with a view toward Christ being glorified. And whatever it is we do with one another, we do it with a view toward Christ being glorified. This is why we exist, not just to consume and enjoy, not just to use one another for our own pleasure and purposes, but to bring glory and honor to the one who spoke the world into existence and then entered into that existence through the incarnation. Through the one who holds all things together. It is God's intention that he would have preeminence in everything. And so now, even even when we think about the way that we interact with one another, if it's true that, that, that the wood that came together to make this podium it's part of what God made to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And, and, and so what was done with this by human hands ought to have been done in a way that to the best of the ability of the one doing it would bring maximum glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Then how much more does that mean when it comes to my interactions with you as another human being? If it's important that I treat a piece of wood in a way that would bring honor to Christ, how much more important is it that I treat another human being in a way that brings honor to Christ? It's why everything exists. It's why you exist. Whether you believe that or not, whether you know that or not, whether you understand that or not, that's why you exist. And, and so when, when we look at another person, we, we don't necessarily look at them as, as other in the sense that I know why you're here. You are no different than I am. And you are here to bring glory and honor to the one who made us 
And if by his providence he has brought the two of us together, then it is his, it is his intention that even that encounter between us, no matter how brief or how lengthy, would be used for that same purpose and toward that same end. Amen? This is so different than the way we've been taught to think. Is it not? And it's interesting how, you know, we walk around in this cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, you know, again, random evolutionary processes and, you know, that survival of the fittest and all this. Again, all of these things that are shoved into our heads while simultaneously trying to tell us, ah, be nice to each other, Um, (laughs) you know. With no why that makes sense. But when we understand, created in the image of God, created to bring him glory, that helps us. That helps us. So that's who I am and that's why I'm here. So what's wrong with the world? Um, Go to verse 21. And you, that's pretty much it right there. Um, that's, what's wrong with the world? You. Yeah. I mean, me too, but mainly you. Uh, yeah. You who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and all those all three of those things are important. We're alienated from God, we're hostile in mind, and we're engaged in evil deeds. In other words, this is sin. Amen? This, this is sin. These are three ways of pointing to the same reality. Who am I? I'm the crowning glory of the creation of God. Why am I here? To bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's wrong with the world? I don't do what I was made to do. That's what's wrong with the world. Everything exists to bring glory and honor to Christ. And I'm alienated from God. I'm hostile toward God. And I'm engaged in evil deeds. And none of that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. In fact, I am focused on my own glory and on my own passions. I am pursuing my own lusts of my own flesh, my own wants, my own desire. I'm pursuing the fame of my own name and not the fame of Christ. When I look at you, I want to know what you can do for me, not how you can glorify Christ. How can I use you? How can I benefit from you? This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. And secular humanism just feeds it. It feeds it. Because if Darwinian evolution is true, it's exactly how we should look at one another. It's exactly how we should think about life and the world and everything around us. But it's not true. It's not true. Can't be true. I went... Um, earlier this week, um, I started I'm in the U.S. for two weeks, and um, 
lot of events, you know, in those two weeks, but also yeah, I usually kind of start and finish anytime I come here um, in Houston uh, so I can get there and take care of the things that we need to take care of. Uh, this is the first trip of the year, so this is like homeschool supply trip. So I bring an extra giant bag, you know, inside of my bag so that I can fill that up with supplies and beg the people not to charge me an arm and a leg to take an overweight bag back to Zambia with me. And so this is, that's this trip. And um, also, you know, if there's medical things we need to do, I do that. And, and so I, I've, I've always had tremendous eyesight. I mean, tremendous eyesight. And I, and I, and I don't anymore. Um, and for a long time, you know, I've been saying, even, even with my wife, you know, she's like, babe, what are you, when are you going to go see about that? Well, my eyes are fine. Well, how come you can't see that? Well, because there's not enough light on it. <laughs> if you put more light on it, I can see it. It's just that there's more places in the world without enough light these days. <laughs> and that's, you know, I'm just saying, okay? We just, we got a light problem in the whole world today, all right? And so, you know, I, I went to this, this doctor, and, and there's this new deal. He didn't need, you know, y'all usually have to dilate your eyes and do all that. I also went and did some imaging with this radiologist who looked at all my insides to make sure that they're still there. And so, and so I did, and I went to this guy, that eye guy, and and um, yeah, I did. I, I got some. I got some reading glasses. I got some reading glasses. I got some. I got some. I got some reading glasses. But beside the, and that's and it's okay. Hey, it's okay, right? I need y'all to like encourage me right now. I need you to. All right, I got some. So I got these reading glasses. But there's this new machine that they have, and they don't. He didn't have to dilate my eyes. I looked into this machine, and he just looked all into the back of my eye, and. Pulls up this picture of the inside of my eye. And it looks like looking into outer space. You know, and here's your optic nerve. And, you know, and here's the this. And here's the that. And here's, you know, and we're going through all of it. And, you know, on the one hand, there's this awe and wonder as I'm looking at this picture. And on the other hand, there is, okay, he's softening me up because he's about to tell me, I need, like, new eyes or something, right? <laughs> but he wasn't. And at one point, he, he looked at me and he said, look at this. He said, there's about a million working parts just in there. He said, somebody asked me, you know, Doc, how close are we to making, you know, like an eye? <laughs> and I said to him, that's hilarious. <laughs> you have no idea what God did when he made the eye. Just the eye. When was the last time you looked at what God did and were just in awe? In awe. And the greatest thing that he did, and all this stuff that he made, the greatest.
greatest thing that he did was you and me. Made in his image, made in his likeness, and given dominion. And we're the only things that don't do what we're supposed to do. Huh? Everything else, just, you know? People come and visit us in Zambia. We've always got to go on a safari. Take them on safari. And the awesome thing about that is, doesn't matter how many times you take people on safari. You're never like, oh my God. Come on, guys. We're going on safari. New every time. It's like we're going on safari. We're going to see stuff. It's going to be awesome. And one time on safari, we actually got to see what everybody wants to see, but nobody admits. We got to see some lionesses take down a Cape buffalo. Nobody wants to admit that, right? Because, you know, we're these sophisticated people. But down on the inside, we're going, I hope I get to see something kill something. You know? (laughs) It's true, you know? It's true. And, yeah, and then when it happens, all the other vehicles that are out there on safari all converge, you know, because everybody else is thinking the same thing. And... doing what they're made to do. They're just doing what they're made to do. They don't sit there and argue. Rebel against God's design. That's just you and me. We're the ones who do that. Just just openly and fragrantly, flagrantly, rebel, not fragrant, sometimes fragrantly too, you know, (laughs) flagrantly rebel against God's design, right? It's just us. It's just us. Deny his existence, right? Abuse his creation, including, including one another. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. You, you know what you and I are? You and I are like, you and I are like, like a star that doesn't show up on time. I mean, think about that. One of the reasons that, that we can do, you know, astronomy one of the reasons that we can, you know, predict things and do mathematics is because stuff shows up on time. Amen? It just shows up on time. You get the pattern down, stuff shows up on time. Where's the moon? Right where it's supposed to be. All the time. Where's the sun? Right where it's supposed to be. Earth, right, everything. All of it, right where it's supposed to be. It just shows up on time. Always and without fail. 
Can you imagine what would happen if the heavenly bodies responded to God like you and I? There'd be stuff running into stuff all the time, right? But that's what's wrong. We're alienated from God, from the fall. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God shows up, and what happens? They run, and they hide themselves. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Here comes God, quick, behind the tree. Where are you, Adam? We, we heard you coming, and, and we hid. We hid because we're naked. Adam had always been naked. Always, but never ashamed. Never fearful. But sin brings alienation from God. That's what's wrong. We're alienated from God, and being alienated from God, we act irrationally. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. When you eat of it, you will die. They're going to die. They're under the judgment of God. They're going to die. By the way, what's their only hope? What's their only hope that anything other than this death could happen? Their only hope is mercy. Mercy from whom? God. Who are they running from? God. Completely irrational. He's your only hope, your only help, and you run from him. There's the world in a nutshell. We're alienated. And then we're hostile. We're hostile. <laughs> what did you do? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat? Well, you know what? That woman that you gave me. It's amazing, even, even atheists are hostile toward the God in whom they do not believe. Hmm? Riddle me that, Batman. <laughs> you don't exist, and I hate you. And engaged in evil deeds. thoughts, our words, our actions, everything. We are ruined sinners. Why do we have the problems that we have between people? Because we are ruined sinners. We're alienated from God. We're hostile toward God. We're engaged in evil deeds. And that hostility spills over toward those who are made in the image of God. This is what's wrong. And you can't educate that out of a man. And you can't govern that out of a man. You educate a sinner, you just get a more sophisticated sinner. But isn't that our answer? People hate each other. 
So, so they need sensitivity training. Hmm? Because your problem is insufficient education. If we just give you the right information, that will change your alienation and hostility and evil deeds. No, it won't. It'll make you more proficient at shifting blame. But it doesn't fix you. It doesn't fix you. So how can what is wrong be made right? Well, it sandwiches that verse. We just looked at verse 21. Let's go back to 19 and then ahead to 22. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 22, he has now reconciled, I'm sorry, and you who, go back to 21, put it together, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How can what is wrong be made right? Who are you? Crowning glory the creation of God. Why are you here? To bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. What is wrong? You don't do what you were intended to do. How can that be made right? The one against whom you sin reconciles you by his blood. That's the answer. God demonstrates his love for us in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He reconciles us by his blood. He pays the price that we owe. And he redeems us. But, but notice this. Look again. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. This goes back to what we talked about before, right? Christ is to have preeminence in, in all things. So it's not just in, in, in you and in me, but even in everything in the world that he has created. So that as we interact with these things in the world, we even bring glory to him in that. And now in verse 19, in verse 20 rather, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, not only does the death of Christ reconcile you and me to God, but it reconciles you and me to one another, and it reconciles you and me to this world that he created. It changes everything. Everything. 
You see, because sin not only affects the way we interact with one another, but it also affects the way we interact with the world. We not only abuse ourselves and others, but we abuse the world that God has created. And in reconciling, reconciling us to himself, Christ changes even that. In order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before your Father who is in heaven. This is a way better answer. Amen? Who are you? You're the result of random evolutionary processes. You're an accident. Why are you here? I don't know. Consume, enjoy. What's wrong with the world? You don't know enough stuff, and there's not enough people watching you. How do we fix it? Well, if we can get you enough training, enough therapy, enough, you know, education, and enough people watching you, we can get there. You can have that. All day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Right? You can have that. That doesn't get us to where we need to be. But who am I? The crowning glory of the creation of God with inherent dignity and worth and value. Why am I here? To bring glory and honor to the one who made me. What's wrong with the world? I don't do that. How can what is wrong be made right? The one who made me reconciles me to himself by his own blood through the cross. And not only does he reconcile me to himself, but he reconciles me to you. And to everyone and everything else. This is the beauty of the gospel. And this is why our answer is not just a better answer, it's the right answer. As it pertains to this issue of race and ethnicity and everything else for that matter. It's the only answer. Tomorrow we'll explore this more. We'll look very closely at this issue of Christ reconciling us by his blood. We'll look very closely at this issue of us being created in the image of God and the implications of that for the way that we interact with one another. And we'll look very closely at the way ahead what does all of this, all of this mean? And, and what do we do with it? So, 
Think on these things. Wrestle with these things. Compare them to what you've been hearing. Because we've heard a lot of answers. Amen? But ask yourself, where do those answers come from, and how do they stack up with what we see in Scripture? And what hope do they really offer? Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy toward us that you demonstrated in the person and work of Christ. We thank you for the great privilege that is ours of not only being made in your image and in your likeness, but the privilege of being given dominion over all things. The privilege of being called to bring glory and honor to you, not just in our inherent dignity and value, but also through the way that we exercise stewardship over who we are and what we have and the way we interact with one another. And we confess that because of our alienation and hostility and evil deeds, we have very often done and been anything but what you've created us to be. But by your grace, you have provided redemption to your son through his cross and thereby made a way for us to be reconciled to you, to one another, to the world. Grant by your grace that we might rejoice in this truth. and that we might be different because of it. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake.